or welcome to a new episode of um, In Check with FinTech organized by PCN. Um, my name is Rogier and uh, the next two episodes uh, will have a uh, two-part series actually um, together with uh, Nico Strauss from uh, the Rabobank. Um, we'll talk about three topics. So today we'll talk about uh, banking as a service and next week we'll talk about payments and uh, identity. Um, There'll probably be a lot of overlap. Um, there's a, probably today we'll talk about payments and identity, and next week we'll probably talk about banking as a service um, because they're very close, closely related, especially within Rabobank. But um, Nico will t- talk a bit more about that uh, in a second. Um, Nico, welcome on the show, first of all. Thank you very much, Rogier. Hello, everyone. Um, let me uh, give, a, give a short introduction on you and feel free to correct me or add me in case I'm forgetting sure. something. But um, yeah. yeah, Nico has um, a background in payments for, well, about the last 15 years. So he started in Dun & Bradstreet, uh, then moved on to uh, WorldPay, where he's been for, for seven years and now been with uh, Rebelbank for uh, a bit over two years, um, where you're now tribe lead for B2B services. Is that right? That's absolutely correct. Right. Um, and... Yeah, I've been with Rabobank now for a little over two years, and what we've done is this tribe, if you'll call it, um, has now been live for a little over a year and a half, and we aggregate all the payments, identity, and open banking services of the bank into one organizational unit. Right. For those who don't know, Rabobank, uh, one of the biggest Dutch banks, I would say? Definitely. Uh, one of the large three incumbent banks here in the Dutch market. Um, and depending on which way you cut it, um, definitely one of the largest. Right. So, yeah, so I said we talk about three topics today and in, in two separate shows. Why are we talking about these topics um, together? Well, uh, I think we're in a very interesting period these days um, where the organizational and business model of a lot of financial services are you know, changing quite quickly. Um, and we as a bank have have jumped onto that uh, by forming a tribe like B2B services amongst many other tribes. And you see uh, a lot of services in the financial sector starting to come together with new services such as identity um, and, of course, the payment services that everyone knows about, um, also in your audience, um, are now becoming quite mature. Um, but there's, you know, there's new fields to be explored and, um, you know, we need to make sure that we're on the leading edge of where these three fields come together, payments, identity and open banking. That makes sense. Does that come together in banking as a service? Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> <laughs> That's maybe a good idea if I clarify that term a little bit. That'd be great. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. It, I mean, uh, it, it, it is a bit of a... Um, uh, becoming a, a watchword these days. Um, but for us, it, it means being close to our customer. Um, with the options that you have these days with technology, more and more of our customers are wanting to make life easy and convenient for their customers by providing customer journeys in which certain components of banking services um, you know, are necessary to achieve uh, what the customer wants to be able to achieve. Simple as that. So we're still talking classical banking services, anything from pushing a payment, making sure that somebody knows who you are, to originating a loan, doing insurance, just normal banking services, but in a different organizational and business model than classical banking. Makes sense. How, how, how does it differ? Because you are indeed offering a multitude of services that might not necessarily be built by 
the bank themselves or is there other differences as well? So, um, I mean, we're seeing a model shift, right? Um, whereby historically speaking, and I'm not speaking purely for Rabobank here, but banking in general, everything that you used to do with a bank used to happen on the platform of the bank. Um, and that, that's being disintermediated. Uh, so more and more platforms are able to execute more and more banking services on their platform. And that's also what not just the business customers want, but also the, the consumers that they serve want. Um, so what we're doing is moving with those times to ensure that whatever component you need from a classical bank, you can actually use pick and mix to ensure that you can achieve those customer journeys that you want to. Perhaps an idea if I give an example? Please, yeah. Yeah. So um, a really simple one that we're already putting live today is uh, children's daycare center, right? Um, here in the Netherlands, there are a lot of daycare centers and, you know, people turn up with their kids. Um, but sometimes someone turns up that isn't actually the parent of the kid. And the daycare center has a responsibility to check that. Um, and make sure that the person picking up a kid is actually the parent. So they need to do an identity check. Now, that's a type of service that we can provide to a daycare center via their platform to ensure that they can meet the requirements of their customers, the parents who are dropping off their kids. So it can be as simple as that. But it, go, it goes beyond financial services then, yeah? But indeed, yeah, identity. Yeah, yeah definitely. And this is... This, this is what I'm talking about when, you know, you're, you're looking at a little bit of a fundamental shift in model. Um, banks are companies that provide trust, right? And historically yeah. speaking, we were more financial custodians. So you would trust a bank to ensure to push money from A to B. But more and more, we're starting to push data from A to B and providing trust in those interactions and transactions. So on, on the back of the trust that banks have, maybe uh, as opposed to uh, big tech, which is now also trying to get into the field of financial services, but definitely also identity and payments, um, you are able to... Um, yeah, offer more trust towards the consumer? Yep, definitely. Uh, not just that, but also to the business customers. Now, many of them have, have more and more requirements out of GDPR or their own regulatory environment. You know, think of an insurance company or a company that works in healthcare. Um, and historically, those customer journeys can be quite clunky. Um, and, and so this is something that we're changing today already. I mean, historically, we've published cases with a large Dutch insurance company like Egon, who were still signing up customers, you know, on a pen and paper basis uh, by utilizing, for instance, uh, identity services. We were able to digitize that for them, for, for them and provide the customer journey that the modern consumer actually expects is that whenever, when they want to become a customer, they can just do that in a digital sense. And it takes 15 seconds instead of five days. So it's also, you know, a big cost reducer for our customers in helping them to provide better service. That makes sense. What's the business model then for you guys? I mean, in any, if you look at payments as a service or software as a service, then normally there's a subscription fee to be paid. Is it a similar yep. business model here or is it different from that? Well, th this is where it becomes interesting, right? Because a lot of these services are, are, are quite new on the scene. You know? So... Uh, you know, if you would ask anyone how big will the pie become, uh, th there's a lot of research in the market that can tell you various different things. So if you look, for instance, at a report published by Bain, they s talk about the fifth platform wave and expect even the, the classical lending that a bank does um, uh, to move about 20% to more of an open banking space. 
um, lending as a service on other platforms. Um, and McKinsey, for instance, has said that they expect, you know, the amount of traffic that goes over these APIs that banks will produce across the board um, to go 10x in the next five years. So there's a lot of volume going around, um, but exactly what those models are, the market is still finding that out. So, you know, to answer your question, it, it goes back, I think, to what, uh, for instance, a company like Visa was saying at Money 2020 in 2019. They built you know, a huge, really cool API platform and had like 500 APIs on it. Turns out the customers were only using about seven of them. And the real nitty gritty and the real challenge was that the platform itself was fine, but they needed the people that could really understand that customer and walk them through what is the customer journey that you're trying to achieve? What kind of value does that add to your business? And what are you willing to pay for it ultimately? So this is also now how we have been organized for the past year and a half. It's not just providing the technical connections and the APIs themselves, it's providing a good set of people that can help those customers understand how much better this makes their customer experience and therefore what you should be asking for it from a business model perspective. And you know, when it comes down to it, then yes, everything is in play. Transactional models, you know, fees per click, um, API calls, subscriptions, et cetera, et cetera. And that's also where the fun is in, in finding out what works, the, what works the best for our customers. That's interesting. Is there, is there a lot of education needed then towards the market? I'm thinking of Aegon, for example, you just described with the kind of onboarding, which you reduce from 15 days to 15 seconds. Is that something that they need to be uh, educated on or is it something they feel they already have a need or yeah, how, how does that work? Well, that, that, that differs across the market, right? And as a large incumbent bank here in the Netherlands, you know, we run the whole gamut from a baker shop on a street corner to a large super corporate, right? So there, there's differing um, levels of knowledge across the market, which is why we've organized our tribe in the way that we have. We go a little bit further than an, than an average product tribe and uh, have our own sales force, uh, we have our own support group, uh, we have our own product group, we have our own tech in-house, um, which means that you know, we can end-to-end -end work with those customers to help them decide what they need. And you know, if you're talking about a large corporate, that they will know about GDPR and they will know about what they can and cannot do. Um, so with a, with, with a large corporate like that, that there's gonna be more legal questions with a very small customer like the baker on a street corner, they just want to do, some, do something cool for their customers and are not really interested in what goes on under the hood. So yeah, there's diff differs depending on what type of customer you're talking to. Interesting. We started PCN 12 years ago with a view to serving the FinTech community from a growth perspective. Since 2008, PCN has helped household names in fintech as well as the largest global merchants grow with the best talent who have specific financial technology experience. If you are a VC with a portfolio of fintech businesses, a scale-up looking to hire the best talent, or a merchant looking to hire a head of payments or an entire payments team, get in touch today for a no-obligation consultation on how PCN can help you accomplish your hiring goals. What's the reason for Rebel Bank doing this? I guess it's because of innovation, but is, is it also is part of the reason in order to kind of keep connected to the consumer, remain that touch point instead of giving it away to, um, let's say, the younger, uh, whether that's challenger banks or 
or other fintechs? Mm -hmm. I, I, I think it's a bit of both, right? And, and the bank operates on a two-pronged strategy, uh, banking as a platform, banking as a service. On one end, our platform uh, needs to become modern in the way that the consumer expects that. Now, this is something that we're already achieving on. If you look, for instance, at the rating our consumer-facing app gets these days, it's actually very high. And there's a lot of features and functionality in there that wasn't there a year or two ago. Um, it'll, for instance, categorize all your consumer transactions immediately into the right bracket so you can always see what, you, what you're spending your money on. Um, and aside from that, uh, we're looking at that banking as a service model as well. So bank, just for my understanding, so banking as a platform are more the static products that the bank offers. And banking as a service is, um, the, the, let's say, um, uh, static products plus all of the other additional services. I think it's more across the axis of where do you get your service, right? Okay. So everything that happens in a Rabobank environment uh, where the customer feels at home at, at Rabobank and is executing what they need to get done via Rabobank directly, that happens on our platform, right? Everything that happens partially on Rabobank or entirely outside of Rabobank, but with the help of Rabobank services in that customer journey, that's what you typify as banking as a service. Um, and you know, coming back to your earlier question around big techs and challenger banks, um, I think it's great to operate in an environment where, where everybody's gunning for this um, because it ensures, you know, that, that we need to stay ahead of the game as well. Um, so in that sense, it's a great time to be able to work from a position of strength at a large incumbent bank where we do already have a lot of the services. It's just a question of getting them out in the right way and uh, building the right people to actually go to market together with our customers. Yeah, like you said in the beginning, there's a, there's a shift in kind of uh, model, if you will, and, and that definitely yeah. is because of the innovation that is going on and maybe increased competition. But it sounds like also with the big techs, it could be your partner, no? Yes, definitely. And that, this is also something that we're already looking at. I mean, historically speaking, you know, launching um, Rabobank services on Google Assistant, things like that. I mean, this has already happened. We have we have a lot of contact with the big techs as well. Um, ultimately, um, it's a question of what what the consumer wants, um, and and we need to be there for those consumers and those business customers in a way that they find most effective. Uh, whilst maintaining, of course, um, the safety and security that is required by law and is also what the consumer wants. So for us, it's always very important to ensure that, you know, either the consumer or the business customer is always in control of what is going on. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider subscribing in order to receive every episode as it's published. The fintech space is ever-changing and we care about keeping you up to date with the latest happenings in this exciting space. If you wish to appear on the next episode of In Check with Fintech, please email podcast at teampcn.com. That's podcast at teampcn.com. Back to banking as a service then. What are the, the opportunities that you try to, you guys try to focus on or what are the opportunities in general you, you see with banking as a service? We touched on a few, but I'm sure that there's more. Yeah. yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I mean, look, it's it, it, it's early days, right? And and this this tribe we've built together here at Rabobank um, is only a year and a half old. But you know, I already gave you the example of a child's daycare center. Um, but you know, we're building cases that are live, transacting, and in market now. 
Um, you know, we work with employment agencies to ensure that, you know, an employment agency that has hundreds of thousands of um, people working there, that they can easily onboard, um, they can easily identify themselves, that the um, employment agency can instantly pay out um, the money that that person has made that week. Um, in the telco business, um, a, a lot of, you know, direct to business models are starting up right now. Um, so we're working with customers, for example, that a business owner can go to the telco, prove that they are not only um, uh, the person that they say they are, but also a business owner, then share their banking data so that the telco can see if they're worth a thousand iPhones and then immediately start purchasing those iPhones. So in that sense, you're mixing payments identity and open banking into one customer journey, um, which is banking as a service in essence. You also talked about, uh, I read an article about um, how does banking as a service also going to have an impact on society, right? Especially in times like these. I think you work with Unlock um, about yeah, Corona correct. results, right? Yeah, absolutely correct. So this is a consortium um, that, that Rabobank is a part of um, to be able to share the outcome of you know, Corona or, or vaccination. Uh, corona test or a vaccination and you know we work with societal partners as a cooperative bank to see if we can help that along uh, this is with the technical university in delft uh, the university in leiden um, and we're looking at really you know adding value and knowledge to that process uh, within society in this case in the unlock consortium it's building a data wallet uh, around self-sovereign identity to allow the civilian population to share the data that they want to share in a safe manner while staying in control of it. And that's just one example of, of well, probably at least 50 different cases that we're seeing now. So yeah, as you say, coming back to that question of yours, uh, Lohir, um, also, you know, COVID-19 has added a completely new dimension to that. Simple example, you know, when you go to a restaurant these days, if there isn't a lockdown, need to sign into that restaurant so that they can contract trace. Um, and the, these are also services that we are already live and transacting on uh, these days as well out of Rabobank. Has, has Corona or COVID then excelled adoption or relevance of banking as a service, you think? Oh, for sure. Um, not just in, in identity space, uh, but also in the, in the payment space. I mean, we've seen a definite shift to contactless. Um, we're seeing more and more uh, what were historically online journeys taking place in an, in an offline scenario. And I mean, you will have seen this yourself look here if you go to a restaurant, for instance, and instead of ordering something from a person, you're actually, you know, scanning a QR code these days and directly ordering online whilst you're in the restaurant itself. And I mean, more and more of these things are happening faster these days, um, which is for us, a, a validation of the strategy we had already put in place to be able to benefit our customers, um, uh, being able to participate in new services like that. Um, uh, yeah, COVID has definitely accelerated that. It's interesting. Yeah, we'll talk a bit more about uh, kind of payments and, and payment methods. But on yeah. your earlier note, indeed, yeah, QR codes. It's something that uh, I guess if, if you've asked last year, we would have said no. We have the we have the debit card, um, we have cash, and we have ideal, and that's all we need. And be very difficult to uh, change that behavior. And now, yep. uh, yeah, no one could have foreseen that this pandemic obviously came up, um, and now that's all uh, shifting, and, and the adoption is increasing, which is really cool. I think or interesting. Let's yeah. put it that way. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. 
You, you just touched on it, data. I guess that's a pro, that's a that's a that's a concern that uh, many have with uh, regards to PSD two, but also in general. Um, I think data sharing, the way that we share our data, um, what companies do with our data, financial services companies, uh, big tech, uh, doesn't matter. Data is a uh, is at the core of that all. Um, can you talk a bit more about how you approach that? So you talked about the um, electronic safe, if you will. How does that work? Um. Let me just take the first part of your question there, look here, you know, how, sure. how do we deal with data? Um, uh, be, because the safe itself, you know, that is very much in a pilot phase. Um, so that's not something that we're releasing yet to the, the to the general populace. But from, from a data perspective, yeah, you make a good point. And obviously, there are very many regulatory requirements, uh, not just out of GDPR, but also in PSD2. Um, and for us internally, uh, we, we use a data manifest which basically says that you know, we will only be willing to gather data that the customer wants us to gather so that they can execute what they are trying to execute and not use it for different data. I mean, that's also not use it for different purposes. That's also a legal requirement, of course. So we always ask ourselves, you know, as part of building these new customer journeys, um, are we sure that this is just going to be used for what the customer wants it to be used and not anything else? And ultimately, you know, this is not our data. This is the customer's data. Going back to the original reason why banks exist is to facilitate trust, right? And this is not something that we treat lightly. So maintaining that trust element by ensuring that the customer, be it a consumer or a business, is in control of what is happening is, is a key requirement for us. How, yeah, the data concern, do you see that? So we just talked about Corona having maybe or excelling adoption. Do you feel that that data concern is slowing it down again, or is the concern not that large as if it is um, that that it is actually slowing down innovation or adoption of these kind of things? Strangely enough, I think to be quite honest, both at the same time. So on the one hand, you know, if you look at the uh, the research that is being published about the willingness of the general consumer population to actually share data, it's it's super low. Um, but if you look at what consumers are actually sharing data-wise, everything, right? Uh, given all the platforms that everyone is on and the amount of data that is tracked via those platforms, whilst um, people are not really willing to, they are actually doing it. Um, so, you know, this is a very interesting field to be in. And as regards to what we put into the market there, um, for us, it is key to ensure that, you know, you ask for explicit consent, the customer is aware of what's going on and that, you know, you don't hide it in, um, in uh, the small type somewhere in the general terms and conditions. No, exactly. Back to, or no, not back to, but let's talk a bit more about uh, Rebel Bank and uh, your banking as a service offering. I mean, is it open source or is it only for Rebel Bank customers or how is it set up? Um, I'm not sure it will ultimately qualify for, for what you would really term open source just by the nature of the type of services that you're offering, right? Not everybody is allowed to execute, for instance, payments or, or lending journeys because there are regulatory requirements. But most definitely, and that's also one of the reasons why we've organized this, this uh, B2B services tribe in the way that we have, is that we do want to shift away from you know, walling off all the services that a bank can provide behind um, buying a bank account first. Right? Historically speaking, that's the classical issue that, that not just Rabo, but any bank has dealt with. 
is that if you want to do anything with a bank, you first need to quote unquote purchase the bank account, which means that you need to execute a hell of a lot of CDD KYC, right? Which is super relevant if you're looking for a bank account. But, uh, you know, for example, in identity services, you're not transacting any financial data. So us asking you to execute KYC CDD on the level of getting a bank account wouldn't actually be fair, nor does our competition have to do that. So these days, you can actually purchase um, identity services from Rabobank without doing the full bore KYC CDD. So historically speaking, you had to do everything first on the front end before you could do anything with a, a Rabobank. Uh, more and more, ultimately, you will see, especially from the services out of Tribe B2B services within Rabobank, that you can do more in an earlier stage, depending on the regulatory requirements. So yeah, more and more, it'll be everyone instead of just Rabobank customers. And I guess you're also dependent on the willingness of other banks to share the data of their customers with Rabobank, which is a competitor. Yeah, absolutely. Now, this is also why it's interesting to have a payments background, right? Because the regular regulator under PSD2 requires banks to share data. Um, but that's just the start of this interesting new market that's going to grow in the next five to 10 years. Um, because you already see, for instance, um, you know, ECB and the European Commission about talking about organizing the European data spaces. So whilst uh, PSD2 is now you know, alive and kicking and wild in the market, and then we, we are building um, you know, customer product right now, uh, transacting significantly, um, it, it, I'm already looking in the future to where uh, you can also see this happening probably across many other uh, sectors like insurance, uh, like energy, you name it. Um, the open banking world is just the start. Uh, more and more you're going to, to open data. Um, and and that's, a, that's a challenge where we have to look uh, to the regulator ultimately because they need to set you know, the goalposts. Yeah. Um, but that, that's definitely going to be an interesting space in future which is why we need to organize and have already started doing that a year and a half ago. Uh, we need to organize now. Do you feel the role Rabobank is, uh, is significant in that, in that open data space, or are you just a small player in the small piece of the pie? Or? Um, I, I think right now uh, we're, we're just getting started. Uh, I mean, we've got a lot of interesting customers transacting already across these different spaces. But it's, I, I think it's still very early days. And you, you do see, you know, larger and larger deals uh, coming in through the market, um, you know, played uh, the investments that other companies are doing in open banking platforms. You see uh, Agent alumni starting a new open bank, banking initiative. Um, but, you know, looking back to, for instance, the way that a McKinsey sees the market growing 10x in the next five to 10 years, um, that means that there will be a new pie that is very big. Um, and I do believe that Rabo can play a significant part um, in that new pie. That's a bit like payments, doesn't it? Probably when you were still uh, working for WorldPay, uh, payments was also, in the, it was, uh, uh, there was a cycle where it was 10x. And now you see all yep. the consolidation going on again. Um, it sounds like open banking or <laughs> banking as a service could be just that, right? Yeah, we didn't agree on the on on this this positioning from you in advance, here, But that's actually <laughs> literally how I explain it internally within uh, within Rabobank, right? So you know, if you go back to two thousand seven, PSD one is um, is brought into play on the European level, and that that basically kicks off the 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 extreme growth that we've seen in the payment space, both online and offline. 
Um, and a simple corollary there is what is happening now under PSD2 in 2019 and 2020. It is the regulator opening up a significant part of the market for a new pie to be grown, ultimately making it easier for consumers and businesses to do what they need to do. Um, so yeah, in that sense, it's really good to have a payments background because you know, you've already been there for round one um, and now round two is happening. Super, super fun time to um, be able to mix these, these three things, you know, open data, identity, which is, you know, facilitating to both payments and open data. Very interesting times. Very interesting indeed. Yeah. And thanks for your insights on, on banking as a service. Maybe a little bridge to the second part of the, of the podcast series. We're talking yeah, about sure. payments and identity then. How, where does that fit in? I think I know the answer and probably our listeners as well, but maybe it's a, it's a, it's a nice moment to uh, introduce what we're going to discuss on the, on the second podcast. Where does payments and identity fit in with banking as a service? Um, well, these are facilitators, right? And, and, and as we discussed on the last time, um, you know, you've seen that payments industry grow um, over the past 10 years. It is now becoming more and more mature. Uh, you're, you're seeing a sort of phase of consolidation now. Um, whereas the identity space maybe started a couple of years after the payment space, before open banking started. And more and more, these three things are, are starting to mix. So if you're, if you're moving from a position where you have all these three services in one house and the people that you have in-house are speaking to the customers on a day-to-day -day basis and can mix those three different um, propositions together, um, they're better able to provide service to the customers and those customers can then you know, execute better on the customer journeys that they're looking to do. So the, these, yeah, sorry, look here, go ahead. No, I was going to say that they're complementary to each other um, in, the, in the customer journey. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, cool, Nico. Well, thanks again for uh, this first uh, series. Um, I hope everyone uh, enjoyed it and uh, definitely tune in next time for uh, the second part uh, of this um, podcast series together with Rabobank where we'll talk about uh, payments and identity and we'll welcome back uh, Nico. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening, and we'd like to leave you with a more serious message from our partner Free Your Girl, who are dedicated to fighting child prostitution and impunity all over the world. Hi, I'm Evelyn, CEO and founder of Free Your Girl. Every day, two million children, especially girls, are being held captive worldwide. They are locked up and exploited in brothels, dance bars, or online, forced into sexual exploitation. Their freedom is taken away together with their youth, family and future. We are dedicated to fight sexual exploitation of children by rescuing these girls. Please join us, unlock their freedom and unlock your potential by becoming a business partner. Please visit freeagirl.com for more information. Thank you.